Good morning. Before uh, I share what I want to share this morning, although this is part of what I want to share, because uh, it might be slightly different, uh, if the technology works, I want you to sit and watch a testimony. Powerful stuff, isn't it? Just Danny Velasco is now in heaven. He died a couple of years ago, serving the Lord in Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. Isn't God good? You may wonder what on earth that's got to do with Psalm 48. And I hope I'll be able to explain it. If not, see me afterwards. (laughs) Psalm 48 says this. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. In the city of our God, his holy mountain. Beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth, like the heights of Zaphon is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. God is in her citadels. He has shown himself to be her fortress. When the kings joined forces, when they advanced together, when they saw her and were Sorry, they saw her and were astounded. They fled in terror. Trembling seized them there like pain, like that of a woman in labor. You destroyed them like ships of Tarshish, shattered by an east wind. As we have heard, so we have seen. In the city of the Lord Almighty, in the city of our God, God makes her secure forever. Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. Like your name, O God, your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Mount Zion rejoices. The villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go round her, count her towers, consider well her ramparts. View her citadels that you may tell of them to the next generation. For this is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. When, uh, just as it works out, Andy asked me to preach on this psalm, I got very excited. Because it gives me another chance to share thoughts on the greatest thing you will encounter on this earth. And that's the Church of Jesus Christ. Just, anyway, we'll get there in a minute. Psalm 48 is one of the psalms, one of those 150 songs, stroke poems that were the staple worship material of the Jewish people over many, many years. And as a result, they have become obviously part of the worship experience of the Christian church, though it must be said some psalms lend themselves more to worship than others. You'll notice the ones that aren't because nobody preaches on them and they very seldom get read. There are a few bloodthirsty ones in there. It was a different time. But as I said earlier, I want to be a bit different this morning because the obvious meaning of this psalm is quite straightforward. It will take about five minutes, if that, to share. And you'd say, oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) The psalmist is rejoicing in the city of Jerusalem. That's what he's doing. King David had conquered it and made it his capital city, and it had then become synonymous with Jewish identity and Jewish hope, and indeed still is to this day synonymous with Jewish identity and Jewish hope and causes all sorts of knock-on effects in the whole political realm of people being accused of being Zionist and all sorts of stuff, it's still a relevant concept. And there, eventually, in that great city, the temple was built, so that for the people who lived there, God now lived there, because the temple was the dwelling place of God. And basically, the psalmist is saying, wow, 
Look at her. Look at Jerusalem. See what God has built. Stand back and admire. Foreign armies tremble at the sight. This is astonishing. And this was so deeply ingrained in the culture of the Jewish people and in their mindset that when sometime later the children of Israel were taken into exile by the Babylonians, that 70-year period away from the promised land, although there were some still there, uh, all the powerful people, the key people had been moved to Babylon. Uh, Word came to Nehemiah, who was a a, a servant of the king, a, a Jewish man, about the walls of the city having been broken down and being in ruin. And the Bible tells us when Nehemiah heard about this, he wept and wept and wept. We're not talking about Newcastle. Some people might cry over Newcastle for all sorts of reasons, especially the football team, but there's another story. We're talking about the city of God. Now, though wrapped up in this is an awful lot of stuff that people misuse and abuse, uh, God has told his story through scriptures of how he has uh, interacted with, with human beings. And that's all about the calling to himself of a people, a unique people, the Jewish people, the people of God, the children of Israel, and how that people developed and, and established a king, interestingly against God's advice, but he let them do it. And then came the, the capital city and so on. It, it's all wrapped up there in how God has revealed his heart to people. That's that. So what's it got to do with us? Well, as you know from a few weeks ago when I preached, one of the pictures of the church in scripture is the picture of the church as the city of God or the new Jerusalem. Many of those things which are applicable in prophetic terms to that historic city are actually more applicable to the church now. I'm not saying God has abandoned his ancient people. I'm not, I, I don't believe that, actually, for a moment. And I actually believe the physical Jerusalem still has a place to play in prophetic outworking. But many of the, uh, the promises and the prophetic words refer to the church of Jesus Christ. That's you, by the way. Not only you, but it is you. Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance... Obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. The city. Again in Hebrews 12, but you have come, talking to the people of God, you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, The city of the living God, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And the passage I shared the other week. In Revelation, right at the end, as as, uh, God's final workings are coming out, uh, part of the vision is this. He carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with, uh, and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates at the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. 
The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. City of God. Anybody remember this book? Anybody remember that? It was the early songs and hymns of fellowship. Yeah? They dropped this from the later final edition. Let me read the words. We used to sing it back in the early 80s. Now this book I used in the second church in which I was a minister and I kept a record of whenever we sang it. We never sang it, the second one. So it does go back to the very early 80s. Listen to this. Come walk with me round the walls of the city. See what the king has been building so well. Put down your tools. Rest a while from your labors. Lift up your eyes. Lift your hands. Come and see. Come dance with me round the walls of the city. Let us give glory to Jesus, our king. There's a second verse which I may remember to share later. But this morning, I want you to walk with me. I want you to consider with me the church of Jesus Christ. I want you to get excited. I want you to get a picture in your mind of what God is seeking to do. I want more people than me will leave this place utterly besotted with the church of Jesus Christ. You see, some people think the church is here so that we can grow. But if anything, it's primarily the other way around. We are here so the church can grow. The whole goal of, of creation, the whole goal of salvation was that God would provide a bride for his son. One of the pictures of the church is the bride of Christ. And, uh, and the holy city is described as it comes down out of heaven like the bride ready for the groom. We're, we're not called to individual salvation, you in your small corner and I in mine. We're not called to, well I have my own faith but occasionally I go to church because the Bible says it's important. We're called collectively to be the people of God. To be that astonishing, shining, beautiful reality that the world can't ignore. That's what we're called to be. Are you excited yet? Okay, right. <clears throat> I hope also, some of you may learn to weep with me. I have been known to cry occasionally. It's probably true that I've cried more over the Church of Jesus Christ than over anything else. And in recent times, there have been a number of uh, influencers, online bloggers and all that sort of stuff, who, and, and big Christian names, though I've never heard of them, to be honest, but out there. A number of them who've suddenly decided that they've lost their faith. So you decided, oh, no, this is, this is not right. All you've got to do is be kind, be good, and don't worry, and all that sort of stuff. A lot could be said about that, but one of the reasons it, it disturbs me is not just for the sake of those individuals for whom I feel desperately, but this is an insult to the glory and honor of the king. And it's an insult to his bride, and it breaks my heart. The church is not a tool for our use. We are the people of God. So, we are the goal. That's the first thing I want to say. We are the goal. God is making a bride for his son. We're not the finished article yet. And at times that which is being claimed to be the church has dishonored God and still can. In all sorts of horrific ways. But God is still building 
his, ch his church. In the West, people say the church is declining, though interestingly, the stories of the decline of the church in West are, the West are greatly exaggerated. Uh, conservative estimate uh, I read recently, probably about a third of the people who worship in a congregational context in this country at any given week are not counted in the statistics because there are all sorts of groups out there which aren't officially recognized as a church. They don't get the forms. They don't tick the boxes. God's still building his church. And the gates of hell, we're told, will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. And that's not a defensive thing I used to think it was. I used to think if the church really holds firm, those terrible gates can't come and attack us. Gates aren't built for attack. Gates are built for defense. The gates of hell cannot stand against the church when it's on the offense. Church is fundamental to God's purpose. It's not a means to an end, but an, uh, but an end in itself. Uh, we are called to manifest, to demonstrate, to show the glory of God in how we are together. So take the tour with me. This is where Danny Velasco comes in. Take the tour with me, because if you want to walk around the ramparts of this church, not just this one, but the church as we see it today, you're going to see some pretty awful sights, aren't you? You're going to see some pretty unlikely building stones. But that shouldn't be a surprise, because Jesus was the stone that was rejected, and he became the keystone. But God builds his church with the most unlikely people. God builds his church with the Danny Velasco's of this world. People who the world would discard, who the world would throw away. But God in his grace brings to himself and in the context of the family of God, that person gets nurtured and loved to find his place in serving God. Too often in church life, oh, we want people to come to faith. Oh, we really do. Yeah, yeah, hallelujah, so-and-so is, so -and -so is saved. Oh, they're still behaving like that? Ooh, oh, I don't know, we better keep them out there a little bit until, until they've learned how to behave themselves. All that sort of stuff. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying behavior doesn't matter, it does very much. But it's the journey. God takes broken people. God takes the broken stones and he builds them into this living house. Before Danny Velasco was ever around, there was uh, Nicky Cruz on the streets of New York. Remember the story of Nicky Cruz? Many of you do if you've brought up in church life. A New York gang leader, a vicious and nasty piece of work who by an amazing touch of the grace of God was brought to him. And now what's he do? He's a preacher. He tells the gospel. He shares with people the whole story. And I was reflecting of, you can do that as you get older, of the people whose lives I've seen God touch. It's, it's humbling, it's astonishing, and it's deeply moving. This camera and the HIV positive guy through a drug habit and needle sharing who came to faith and married a lovely Christian girl and now lives in the family of God and has his place there. Gordon, the not particularly interested husband of a Christian wife who erupted in tears after hearing a sermon. He didn't come to church that often, but he was there that day. After hearing, not a sermon by me either, which a sermon I didn't think was very good actually. After hearing a sermon, he just burst into tears like, like fountains that came from his eyes. And this guy now serves his church by looking after the church sound system. He's found his place in the family of God. Christine, a wife whose husband didn't want her anymore. Who found a place to belong. A place of acceptance in Christ and in God's family. Joy, the, the sensitive and shy Christian lady who had to care for both 
of her parents until they died and now lives alone in their large house with memories. And she struggles to believe she has value, but she keeps finding in the family of God that acceptance and a place to serve. Yavis, the Turkish man, he came to a child contact center run by the church I was in because uh, he was estranged from his wife and he could only see his parents, his children under supervision. And he saw a, a banner a bit like that up there, but it just said, the spirit sets you free. And something triggered within him and he said, that's what I need. He came to faith and boy, has it been a struggle. We baptized Jarvis and uh, he did okay. Then he was back in the streets again, back using, he had a drink habit. That was hard. And the drugs kept coming and going and coming and going. And each time the church would rally around him. One day he came and asked if he could sleep in our porch. Because he was homeless. And Betty said, there's a bed upstairs, Yarvis. And he said, I, I can't. He said, I can't. I'm not clean enough. I'll sleep in your porch. Yarvis is still part of Kingswood Baptist Church. Yarvis is still there. Oh, he disappears every so often. But for quite a few months now, he hasn't disappeared. The, the knock-on effect is he's got a, a level of paranoia where he thinks people are talking about him and all that kind of thing because of the damage the drugs have done to his brain. And yet that man is loved within the family of God. He has his place. We sometimes think that in order to be a Christian, in order for a church to be a church, everybody in the church has to have it all sorted. And if we wait for that to happen, it's A, it's never going to happen, and B, we're not being honest with each other because there's not one of us in this room has it all sorted. God builds with unlikely building blocks. He builds something beautiful. He builds something glorious. He builds something through whom his glory will be shown to the whole world. And he chooses to build with people like you and like me. Dr. Sangster, the uh, uh, Methodist leader of a previous generation, I think I may have told this story before, but it's worth repeating in this context. Uh, he was in his study one day, one evening, and there was a knock on the door. And there was a policeman there with this guy beside him and he said, Mr. Sankster, I found this man paralytically drunk in the gutter. I was just going to take him to the station, but he says he's one of yours. Is that right? And Dr. Sankster looked at him and said, yeah, he is. Leave him with me. So he took him in and gave him coffee and the guy eventually said to him, Mr. Sankster, he said, they found me in the gutter, but that's not where I belong, is it? He said, no. You belong in the family of God. God takes broken people. I'm not going to embarrass anybody here today, so you can all relax. All right? But we could walk around the room. We could walk around the room, and if we were all prepared to be honest with one another, we would realize that all these stories, though Danny's a passionate extreme version of it, all these stories are here. God takes broken people. People full of insecurities, people full of past mistakes, Christians full of past mistakes. God takes them and as in repentance and faith we come and we seek to grow in him, he, he knits us together that we would support each other and encourage each other and become that beautiful, beautiful, beautiful reality. And through this odd collection of us, God chooses to reveal his glory to the world. God chooses to offer salvation, to model that in Christ there are no barriers. There are no barriers. It doesn't matter what your background is. Lord, deliver us from black church, white church, youth church, old people's church, any other kind of church, but the church.
In Jesus Christ, every barrier is broken down. If we can't model that, we've got nothing to say to the world. If we can't model the fact that you don't all hive off in your cultural ghettos and, and do that form of church and that form of church and that form of church, but we belong together and God breaks down those barriers. If we can't model those things, we've got nothing to say. If we can't model a situation where teenagers and old people and all in between can relate to each other, albeit in a bit of confusion, because believe it or not, sometimes people of my generation and above have the faintest idea what teenagers are talking about. We just smile and go, hmm, hmm. <laughs> but you know, it works the other way as well. That's the church. That's the church. And there's nothing on the whole face of this planet which will do what the church will do except the church of Jesus Christ. We are called to model holy behavior, transforming behavior, and the reconciling power of God. And if that doesn't excite the life out of you, nothing ever will. However, as I've already hinted, some of this is ground under repair, isn't it? Don't you think? As we walk around these walls, we'll see the glorious triumphs and rejoice in what God has done. There are amazing ministries that we should celebrate that the church of Jesus Christ is behind. Like street pastors, like CAP, astonishing ministries. There are many more out there. It's been estimated that if the church in this land disappeared now, nearly two-thirds of the care of very young children would disappear from this country. You know, the church is doing an incredible work out there. This is the church of Jesus Christ. Wonderful triumphs. Come walk with me. Come see. Read about it. Look about it. Learn about it. See what the church is. But for all these, there are still parts that look broken down. There are still shipwrecked lives of moral failure who are slowly being loved and supported back to beauty. But that process can be incredibly messy. And if you don't want messy church, don't come to church. Because it's only a messy church, and I don't mean messy church in terms of getting your hands sticky in the modern way. I mean real messy church. We don't want it. You don't want church. There are false teachers who would lead the people astray, and they need challenging and rebuking. But in the church, nevertheless, there is joy and there is hope, no matter what's happened. When there's repentance and returning, the arms of the Savior are always open wide, and so must the arms of the church be. Only three groups of people are outside the walls of this city. Those who refuse the gospel, refuse, I won't believe, I don't believe, and therefore put themselves outside. Those who know the truth but have chosen to prefer going their own way because, I don't know, the appeal of a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a particular way of life seems stronger to them than the truth at the moment. And they've put themselves outside. And those that the church has had to remove because despite encouragement, despite love, they've persisted a lifestyle which is, God, which is ungodly and wrong without any heart of repentance to change, without any desire to change. And the church sometimes has to put them out as an act of discipline. But the wonderful thing is this, the door's open. The door's open. Repentance. Returning. Acknowledging our need. For the rest of us is a real hodgepodge of those who need restoring, those who need nurturing, those who need accepting despite great failure, those who need to know that although they have been wrong, this place is not going to judge them or stand in condemnation of them. If the church rejected all those people who failed, not one of us would be here. So come walk with me. Come walk with me around the walls of this city.
when you fall in love with the church? Will you? Is God calling you to lead a church? To be involved in making sure the church does its job properly? often think when I say that sort of thing, I hope young people are listening, but actually it's not just young people, but yeah, young people too. Nothing wrong with ambitions. I'd like to have been an England cricketer, you know. I really would. And I would say if I'd, if I'd had two good eyes, lots of things I'd love to have done, but I wouldn't swap anything in the whole world for the privilege of leading the Church of Jesus Christ. Nothing. There's not anything that remotely comes close to that that's an offer out there. But maybe it's not leading the church as such, but being part of the church in terms of getting out there and telling people, hey, God loves you. The grace of God is there. Will you not come? Will you not come and be part of what God is building? Will you not? Have you enjoyed the journey? Oh, the last verse. Nearly forgot. You are the stones which his love is now shaping, lives being made into praise for our God. See the pure stone that the builders rejected, now the foundation, the glory of God. Come dance with me. We're the stones of that city, giving the glory to Jesus, our King. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that your heart of love and grace goes on and that you have called us together to be a demonstration of that heart. Lord, would you, would you open our eyes to see? Would you help us understand the glory which is ours in you and in the church? And would you teach us how to play our part? Would you call us according to the place you want us to fulfill within your family? And would you give us tender, tender hearts to those who also would be part of that building? In Jesus' name, amen.